Well, we're winding down our Lent season. Next Sunday at this time, we'll be here on Easter Sunday celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. And I hope that you'll join us for that. I hope you'll join us Thursday night as well as we celebrate Monday, Thursday communion service at 7 o'clock here. But my guess is some of you have recognized that Lent is a long time. And so when we started this series of one-word prayers, and we encourage you to just take 10 minutes a day listening to God, silent before him. Some of you probably started gang buses and said, yeah, I'm going to do this. And my guess is a whole bunch of you have left that in the wayside as life got busy, right? Let me give you an invitation again. Whether you started with those, those moments of silence trying to learn how to listen to God or whether you never gave it a shot, let me invite you to do it just for this week. This holy week, this gap between Palm Sunday and Easter with Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday in between. What a perfect week for you to say, okay, for one week, I'm going to sit for 10 minutes a day and listen to God. So pick it up again. See if you can hear what God has to say for you in your one-word prayers. And for those of you who have participated by bringing up your, your statement of faith, your statement of, of, of what you have heard God say in art, thank you. We keep adding more and more pictures every week, so you're always welcome to come up after the service or before the service and check them out. We'd love to have you do it, maybe for Easter. And if you're thinking, why would I bring it to Easter next Sunday when it's all coming down after Easter? Well, we're going to leave it up for a week or two afterwards. So if you have an Easter picture that, that you want to bring up, a statement of your faith, bring it next week. Bring it throughout the week, and we'll get them up there and celebrate with you. Now, for our word this week, our one-word prayer for this week, I, I hesitated when I chose the word, really the symbols for this week, because I assume I'm going to get some feedback from some of you saying that, that putting those symbols up is kind of, is kind of inappropriate. And you might be right. But I'd also counter that putting those symbols up for our word for this week is also very honest. Maybe more honest than we want to be with each other. Maybe even more honest than we really are comfortable with being with God. Because usually we don't want anybody around us to know, and we certainly don't want God to know, that there are times in our lives where we are overwhelmed. We're frustrated and we are angry. There's times where, where if we were completely honest with God, we would be tempted to use these symbols, to, to speak the words that go behind those symbols. We shake our fists in anger with God, right? Sometimes we're, we're like the sergeant from the comic strip Beetle Bailey, right? He gets angry. You know he's angry because he got those symbols up in his word bubble, right? Nowadays, you can do it much more efficiently. You just open up your text and you hit your, your angry emoticon, right? Your, your angry emoji. What would it be like, don't you ha often have it where, where you, where you want to go to God? And honestly, what you, if you could, if you were texting God, you'd just send him that angry emoji, and yet, and yet, if you're like me and you grew up in the church, it doesn't feel quite right to do that, right? You're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to get angry with God. After all, he's God, right? The Bible gives us some clear warnings about anger. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus declares, he says this. He says, you have heard it. It was said to people long ago, do not murder and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. 
Right, so instead of anger, we're supposed to live with, with gentleness. And so Jesus goes on to say, you've heard it said, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you to take your shirt, hand them your coat as well. James, the book of James goes on to echo that same warning. He says, everyone should be quick to listen slow to speak and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Right? And then if you read through the Gospels and you look at the life that Jesus lived, he modeled for us a life of meekness and he was kind and he was humble. He was patient with those who stood in his way. He, he submitted to the injustice of his arrest, his execution when he knew he was innocent right? He quietly lived out that prophecy from Isaiah. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, he did not open his mouth. So if you're like me, you grow up believing that good Christian people, somebody imitating Jesus, should never get angry, and certainly not at God, right? But let's be honest here. We do we get angry at each other, we get angry at life, we get angry at God, we get angry enough that we're at least tempted to shout out one of these words, one of these angry words at God, right? When life is hard, when you've had enough and you're weary, when everything seems to be going wrong in life, when the pain and the disappointment just, just piles on and is so great, when you experience injustice or you see injustice, we get angry. And what do we do then? How do we come before God when we're angry if we've always been taught not to be angry and not to be angry at God? Well, for some people, that's the paradox that really has driven them away from God and away from the church, right? Because too many times we pin that anger on God and we blame him for the brokenness of our lives. And we think to ourselves, if God really cared about me, it, or, or if God could have done something and didn't do something, or if God was really a good God like he says he is, then why did this bad thing happen in my life? And so we're angry. And we just walk away from God rather than have a conversation with him. Turn our back on him and go. Some of us don't, don't walk away, but we end up having a less than satisfactory relationship with God. Less than satisfying conversation because maybe we let him know our anger, but, but then we feel guilty at feeling angry. Well, today... We're celebrating Palm Sunday. And Palm Sunday was an unusual day for Jesus for a couple reasons. One, reasons we can learn from. In fact, take out your Bibles. Turn to Matthew 21 with me. Page 802. Matthew 21, 802. See, this Palm Sunday is unusual, first of all, because Jesus, for the first time, really embraces publicly his position as king. Right in verses 1 through 11 of Matthew 21, we can read about Jesus riding into Jerusalem, the people lining the sides of the road, boldly shouting Hosanna. And Jesus, for the first time, doesn't tell them to be quiet. In fact, when the leaders 
command Jesus, you know, tell them to be quiet, not to shout out Hosanna to the king. Jesus says, look, if they don't, the stones will. For the first time, he, he reveals himself publicly to be king. And often on Palm Sunday, we stop reading the story there. Jesus riding into Jerusalem. But the second unusual thing happens after Jesus gets there. Jesus gets angry on Palm Sunday. And of all the places he lets his anger fly, it's the temple. It's the church. Look at verses 12 through 13 with me. Okay, he just rode into Jerusalem on the donkey, right? It says, Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. In John's account, if you read this in John's account, it says that he, he braided a whip and he's walking through the temple courts with a whip. He's angry at what he sees going on here. And that should give us pause. Maybe that should challenge us to rethink some of our perspectives on anger. Because if God wants us to be truly honest with him, no secrets, right? He already knows us anyway, so why are we trying to keep secrets from him? But if he wants us to speak honestly with him, then there will be times when we have to come before him angry. And after we honestly spill our anger out to God, we need to listen. We need to stop and listen to him because God will speak into that anger, into that feeling to help us determine whether this is the kind of anger that Jesus condemns throughout scripture or whether it's the kind of anger that Jesus condones. Let's understand the difference between those two. Okay, first of all, as we, as we try and discern those differences, we need to understand that anger in and of itself is not right or wrong. Anger is an emotion, and emotions aren't right or wrong. They simply are. They come to us. And anger is defined as this. Anger is an emotion of displeasure and belligerence aroused by wrong. Okay, anger is a feeling. Feelings aren't right or wrong. They just are. It's what we do with those feelings that is important. Because when the, when the feeling of anger comes in, our sinful nature, your sinful nature, mine, will immediately try and grab a hold of that feeling and turn it into sin in our lives. And, and it's this all-consuming kind of anger that Jesus so often condemns in scripture. And, and this, this sinful type of anger has three characteristics that we need to watch out for. First of all, this kind of anger is a passionate againstness. It's a passionate againstness. It turns towards the negative. It lives in that, in that hurt and it pulls us down that path of hurt and destruction. It doesn't look for health and healing. If you've been injured, if, if you've been hurt, this kind of anger doesn't allow you to go find healing for that. It keeps you focused on what's wrong and what's broken and what's, what you're against, which will lead you to more hurt and more pain. 
Anger, unhealthy anger keeps us focused on what we're against, on the negative, so that we'll never focus on what we're for. Shouldn't we be for healing? Shouldn't we be for wholeness? Shouldn't we be for shalom? There's no room for that. When we see red, when we're red with anger, we can see nothing other than what we hate, what we want to hurt, what we're angry about. And this passionate againstness is always directed at others. Because it isn't hard to find somebody else to be angry at, is it? Right? Even if we bring the hurt on ourselves, even if we're the ones to blame, this passionate againstness kind of anger will always point the finger at someone else. So you break the rules and get kicked off the team. You get angry at the coach, don't you? You get angry at the principal of the school who made the stupid rule. Even though it's your own fault, you'll find someone else to be angry at. You foul out in the fourth quarter of the big basketball game. It's not your fault, it's the blind referee's fault, right? And you get angry at the referee. Marriage tension, your, your marriage is falling apart. It's easy to get angry at your spouse, isn't it? Even if some of it's your fault. The bills can't get paid. You're going to be angry at somebody, maybe, probably the kids, because they're so expensive. It's not their fault they're expensive, but you're going to get angry. There's always somebody to point at. It will search, your anger will search for a target, any target, but rarely will it look at yourself. And once, once it zeroes in on that target, anger lets loose its destructive energy. It breaks things. It is destructive. It has the power to break bones and furniture. It has the power to break trust and break relationships between friends and spouses and parents and children. My guess is some of you sitting here this morning know the kind of harm that this anger can do. You've heard the painful words You've seen the broken windows or the broken doors. Maybe you've even felt the broken bones or the broken trust. You know, the, the Bible shows us again and again the damage that this kind of uncontrolled anger can bring. Right? Genesis 4 starts right away. Cain is angry at his brother Abel because of Abel's goodness and in anger he kills him. Numbers chapter 20, Moses is angry at the people of Israel out in the desert for all their complaining, and, and he hits that rock in anger instead of speaking to it as God commanded him. And, and Moses' relationship with God pulls apart some. In 1 Samuel, King Saul is angry at David, jealous of him, and, and throws his spear at him to try and pin him against the wall. And this, and this wonderful partnership, this relationship, it's broken apart. Again and again, it's anger that unleashes its destructive force. So you and I, you and I need to dare to learn to set aside our fear, maybe even swallow our pride a little bit, and bring our anger honestly to God. The anger we're feeling at someone else the anger we're feeling at this world, and even the anger that we're feeling at God. 
And if we've learned to listen to him, if our ears and our hearts are tuned to God's voice, he's going to challenge us. Okay, we're going to hear him inviting us to control this anger instead of being controlled by it. We're going to hear him calling on us to, to repent of the damage that we've done. We're going to hear him encouraging us to be humble enough to do whatever it takes to make a change in our lives. Maybe to talk to a counselor, to talk to a pastor, to talk to a friend, to figure this out. I think often we don't dare go to God because we're not going to like what we're going to hear. But if we listen for God's direction, yes, it will probably be difficult for us to hear the changes that we need to make in our lives the perspectives we need to change, the understanding we need to get about God, who he is, and his ways. But it's a necessary and a healthy conversation. So maybe in your, in your times this week, your 10 minutes with God, start this conversation with him. Ask yourself, where is your anger red hot? And that anger is burning yourself, burning others around you. What have you been too angry about in this world, at someone else, at God? Maybe there's a relationship in your life that's been destroyed by your anger. Maybe you're angry at an institution, right? At the church, at the school, at the government. Maybe your anger is destroying a whole category or a whole race of people that you're biased against. Maybe your anger is at God and it's destroying your relationship with him. Do you dare to talk honestly with God about that anger, to bring these angry words that come to mind and lay them at his feet? And then listen. Are you willing to listen to him speak into that anger? Because if we listen, I think we might be a little bit surprised at what we hear. If you grew up like I did, you think you've got to get rid of all that anger, right? Well, before we get rid of all the anger in our lives, we need to remember that there is a place for healthy anger. Right? Remember, Jesus at Palm Sunday goes into the temple, braids a whip, and chases all the money changers out of the temple. He's angry. It's not the only time either. You get to read earlier where, where the disciples, he's teaching on the, on the hillside and the disciples are keeping all the kids away from him. And it tells us that he was angry and wanted the kids right by him. Or go to the Old Testament. Remember when Moses is up on the top of Mount Sinai, the nation of Israel gathered below and they're worshiping the golden calf that they made. In the words of God himself, he says to Moses, leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and I may destroy them. God himself gets angry. That's because God is showing us that there's a healthy anger as well. It's called righteous indignation. And righteous indignation is defined as this. It's the emotion of anger that is aroused by an injustice. Okay, we get this inaccurate picture of God, right? God's a grandpa, a mild grandpa who wouldn't hurt a flea, who, who's weak enough, he can hardly get up out of his chair, right? And Jesus is, is Mr. Rogers, buttoning up his cardigan and taking his shoes off, all peaceful and quiet. And, and the church needs to be just like Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, all kind and gentle. 
Well, that's not, com- that's not a complete picture. That's not a cl- complete picture of Jesus. It's not a complete picture of the kind of community that we are called to be. Because there were moments when Jesus was filled not with an unhealthy anger, but he was filled with clear righteous indignation. And righteous indignation turns this unhealthy anger on its head. Remember this unhealthy anger was a passionate againstness? Righteous indignation is a passionate forness. It is passionate for the things of God. And it can't stand it when it sees things going against the way that God intended. It's the appropriate response to injustice that goes against God's will and denies the dignity of others. So in the temple here, Jesus is passionately for godly worship. That's why he can't stand to see the money changers turning worship into business for their own profit. And on that hillside teaching, Jesus is passionately for the equality of all people. That's why he can't stand to see children treated a second best. Yet, when when the Roman soldiers nailed Jesus to the cross, the biggest injustice of human history, right? He's silent. He went willingly. He went peacefully. He went calmly. Why did he go? Because he was passionately for the kingdom of God. He was so passionately for you and for me that he willingly went. Righteous indignation is passionately for the purposes of God. And as a result, the energy that that it brings to us is spent on behalf of others. Not in a destructive way, but to build them up. It isn't about about us getting even. It isn't about us getting what we want. It isn't about us getting what we deserve. It's about God getting what God wants. It's about God's purposes being lived out. It's about bringing the goodness and justice of God into other people's lives. That's where that energy is spent. So we see an injustice. The indignation that builds inside of us becomes a motivation for doing good and it's productive instead of destructive. Right? The energy that anger turns to destruction, righteous indignation turns to good. Towards justice, healing, wholeness, righteousness. You know, I think about this whenever I drive downtown, down Market Street, you drive right past that waste to energy plant, right? We get to choose, just like that place, we get to choose what we're going to do with our anger. Are we going to dump this anger in the landfill of our lives and let it sit there and let it rot and let it stink up our own lives and the lives of the people around us, that unhealthy anger that we cultivate? Or are we going to, or are we going to Be angry at the right times for the right reasons and turn that anger into something productive, that righteous indignation into something good. I think the problem for a lot of us is that we don't get righteously indignant enough. We don't get angry enough for the right reasons. So we get angry when our sports team loses. 
And we get angry when the internet goes down and we can't get Netflix. And we get angry when, when somebody drives slowly in the left lane on the highway. We get angry when we get stuck in traffic. We get angry when, when service is slow at the restaurant. We've got to wait an extra 10 minutes for our food to come. But the flood of refugees in this world, when refugee boats capsize and people drown, doesn't really register on the anger scale. When we read in the news about lives torn apart by civil war in Syria for what, six years? And now chemical weapons being used again last week? Interesting to read, doesn't really move the needle of our anger. We should be indignant. We should be indignant about the injustice of poverty, about families in our own community, some who just stayed here last week, who can't get affordable housing, who don't get affordable medical care. We should be indignant that there's kids in our city and kids all around the nation who aren't getting a decent education and who will pay for that for the rest of their lives. We should be indignant at the racism that's pulling apart the fabric of our community and sometimes pulling apart our own hearts. There are things we should be indignant about, and we aren't. Righteous indignation provides the passion and the power to change this world for God's purposes, right? It was righteous indignation that raised the voices of the Old Testament prophets to bring scathing critiques on their godless leaders who abused their power. It was righteous indignation that led John the Baptist to speak out against self-serving religious leaders of the day. It was righteous indignation that led Paul to stand up in the early church on behalf of his Gentile brothers who were being excluded. It was righteous indignation that led Martin Luther King Jr. to stand up and, and to bring down the injustice of segregation in our nation. And it will be the righteous indignation of you and me, of God's people, the church, that will be the motivation to work for God's purposes in our society and in our world today. The church has long recognized that anger for the right reason, righteous indignation is not only permissible, it's essential. You and I have some righteous indignation to cultivate in our lives and in our city and in our nation and in our world. And that's a conversation that God is waiting to have with you and with me. If you dare this week to invite him to speak into your life, if you invite him to kindle an appropriate righteous indignation within you, my guess is he will convict you. So dare to go to God and first of all ask him, what's the anger that you need to put aside? What's that unhealthy anger that you have, that you have fostered in your life? And he's going to say to you, I'll help you. You need to put that one aside. But then ask him to convict you 
and what you should be indignant about. Where is God calling you to be angry about injustice and then to be passionate about the justice he demands? What's he asking you to do in his name? Where is it that God wants to turn that energy in your life into action for good on behalf of others and for his kingdom purposes? You know, let's begin that conversation with him together right here this morning. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, you know us. You know us inside and out. You know us better than we know ourselves. And when we try and keep secrets from you, it's a fool's game that we're playing. And so we ask that you to help us simply to be honest with you in our conversations. Help us to be honest about our anger. And if we need to tell you that we're angry at you, help us to know that you're big enough to handle that, to handle the truth. Help us to have honest conversations with you, God, to reveal the frustrations, the hurts, the anger in our hearts. And then help us to listen. To listen to your words that assure us. To listen to your words that teach us, that reveal to us who you truly are. That reveal your love, your presence, your grace. Even in those painful, difficult times of life. God, help us to be honest. And help us to listen to you when you talk to us about how to handle that anger so that it doesn't become sin in our lives. So it doesn't destroy us and doesn't destroy the relationships and the people around us. So it doesn't destroy the relationship with you. Bring us back into that conversation with you, God. And then give us the courage, Father, to listen to you as you convict us about what we really should be indignant about. About what really should move our hearts to anger. Help us to see the injustices. Help us to see the hurts. Help us to see the godlessness. And to be moved. And to be passionate for goodness and justice, for your kingdom purposes. There's plenty in our broken world, Father, that doesn't match your kingdom design. Don't let us be satisfied. Don't let us be okay with that brokenness. Move us, move our hearts, move our hands, move our feet in your name, to be agents of justice, to be agents ushering in your kingdom, person by person. So Father, give us the courage to ask you what we really should be more angry about, what we should be indignant about, 
and make us passionate about ushering your kingdom in to this world. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you that you can handle us, all our emotion. And thank you that you speak to us in gentleness and in truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand, please? Worship team, would you come forward? I don't know if you caught it in one of the first songs we sang this morning. One of the lines in the songs that we sang.